So I want to tell you something. When I grew up, uh, my, um, I remember one occasion, my parents had to declare bankruptcy. That's not a good thing. I remember they had to do this, and it was because of some poor decisions that my father made. And in those days, when you declared bankruptcy, they put it in the newspaper for all to see. And I remember uh, going to school soon after this was done, and even the kids were making fun of me because they had overheard conversation, apparently, amongst their parents at home. Hey, the Rothbergs, did you see this? There it is. It was a small kind of a town, and everyone knew everything. And I remember thinking, why are you making fun of me? What did I do? And I realized that the burden of all that was on me by virtue of the fact that I was connected to my father. He was my father, I was his son, and just by virtue of the connection, I inherited some of his, the consequences of some of his bad decisions. That's what a connection with someone does. I mean, sometimes connections lead to good things. I remember a number of years ago, I, I was leading Bible study with a group called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA. And what we would do to get the guys and gals to show up for Bible study is we would promise them <laughs> at the end of the Bible study two things. We're going to eat and we're going to play basketball. That's what you do with, with athletes, food and hoops. So that's what we did for quite a while. And then one day, the leader of uh, the FCA area in Houston who used to lead chapel services for the Houston Rockets. He said to me, Stuart, I can no longer uh, do this. Would you like to take my place? Holy Toledo, are you kidding me? You're getting free and everything. So I was the chaplain for the Rockets for two seasons. And both times, they won the NBA championship. I was at the game, me. Absolutely, I had a lot to do with it. <clears throat> so, um, so that was a connection that led to a good consequence. You know what I mean? My mother used to say all the time, Stuart, don't ever forget, it's not so much what you know, it's who you know. Well, because of my connection to one person, my dad, there were some not, not so good things that came from it. Because of my connection to somebody else, there was a very good thing that came of it. So who are you connected to? Who's uh, a significant link to you? Uh, if I were to ask you, um, if you had to decide, are you connected to Adam or to Jesus? What would you say? Would you, would you say, what difference does it make? I want to show you um, in just a few minutes together here that it makes a huge difference. In fact, I don't think I'm being overly dramatic to say um, your connection, whether it be to Adam or Jesus, will determine the quality of your life here and what's more, to come. In fact, it's not just me suggesting this is a very important question to answer. Who are you connected to, Adam or Jesus? Even one as esteemed as the Apostle Paul wants us to get it right. And so that's what he's going to lead us to now in Romans. We're in chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Just a 
few verses tonight. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Paul wants us to settle this issue because of the importance of it. Who are we connected to? Is it Adam or is it Jesus? Those are the two options you'll see presented by Paul here. Romans 5, verse 12. Look at it. Therefore, that's how it begins. So that presumes we are aware of what came before. He's just not speaking out of context. That would be an odd thing to say, wouldn't it? When you begin conversation, therefore. So there's a presumption that something went before. So in light of all that Paul had already said, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Would you like to guess the name of that one man who Paul was speaking of? Do you know his name? Yeah, that's exactly right. That is Adam. And you know of him. Do you believe Adam was real, like a real person? So you believe he actually lived? Where did you read about that? Where in Bible in particular? You read, so do you mean to tell me you think Genesis is actually a, an accurate historical record? You're good. So far you're doing good. See, so, 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 and Paul did too. I wanted to tell you this. In case you're wavering a little bit, defer to Paul. Because he is referring as if it's actual and real and historical. He is referring here to that one man, Adam, who he too, Paul, read about in the book of Genesis. He is implying that the book of Genesis, it's not mythology. It's not speculation. It's not a fabrication of someone's imagination. It is historical narrative. I want to tell you, if you're looking for verification for the Genesis account, look no further than Romans 5 here, verse 12, where there's a strong implication. Paul is making reference here, not to some fanciful literature to prove a point. He's making reference to something that is inspired and inerrant and historical. He's referring back to the Genesis account, in particular, to Adam, this one man through whom sin entered the world. You know the story. It's a sad story. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17, says the Lord commanded the man, that's Adam, you got it right, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But, here's what he's not supposed to do, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. That's the commandment. Why not? For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And Adam considered it and sinned. Which is to say, Adam uh, asserted his will as over against God's. He considered it all, the pros, the cons, all the rest, and he decided, I think I am going to do my thing instead of your thing. And that's the sin that Paul is referring to, and he's saying through that one man's sin, sin entered the world. And so we just found out the origin of sin. It didn't originate with God, right? It originated with man, first man. First man sinned. God does not sin. It's not in his character. It's not in his nature. It's typical of man. First man shows it to us. This is the origin of sin. It's referred to, have you heard of this, the doctrine of original sin? It's a big thing, isn't it? The doctrine of original. Well, here it is right here. It just means how do you answer the question with regard to the origin of sin? Where did sin come from? Here it is. It's the doctrine of original sin. Through one man, sin entered, sin originated. Sin entered the world. 
Well, it gets worse. Uh, because sin has a consequence. It flows quite naturally and inevitably from it. And we read about it here in the same verse. And death through sin. The natural consequence of sin is death. Along with sin came death. What kind of death? Physical, for sure, uh, but also spiritual. We're quite well acquainted with physical death. It hurts us. Uh, we're subject to it. We attend funerals. We pass by cemeteries. We can't escape the reality of, of death. Did you know it's a natural consequence of sin? It wasn't always this way. Through one man's sin entered the world, and with it, death. So physical death, but also spiritual death. What is that? Yeah, it's separation from God. That is exactly right. Spiritual separation from God. Now think, if God, the giver of life, is also the source of all that we need to live life to the fullest, and if we in sin are separated from him, it's no wonder why we can't experience life in its fullest, you see? So it, what kind of death? Yeah, physical death, spiritual death. Adam sinned, and people thereafter began to die. Just to prove it, let me just read an excerpt from Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. All the days that Adam lived were 930 years, now these three terrible words, and he did what? He died. Verse 8, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he? Verse 11, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he? Verse 14, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he? Uh, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he? You know, I can go on and so you see this formula repeated in Genesis 5. This is what interesting, Satan said, remember what Satan said, Adam and Eve? Oh, come on. God, don't listen to God. You're not going to die. Remember he said that? God said you will die. Satan said you won't die. Genesis 5 says you die. Genesis 5 says Satan is a liar. God speaks the truth. We die. But this formula not only continues in Genesis 5, sadly it continues down to this very day, does it not? Yeah. And so the text says, and so death spread. It originated with Adam. He sinned. The consequence of it is death, but death spread, look what it says, to all men. And so now, folks, physical and spiritual death has really come to be part of the human condition. But as I mentioned, it wasn't always this way. In fact, this is one of the consequences of human sin. Death was not meant ever to be a natural part of the human life cycle. It's a penalty due to human sin. Do you think God would have given us life only to await our demise and death? That's not his doing. That's our doing, folks. In fact, God predicted this back again in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. God warned first man and woman in advance of the consequences. Are you thinking this, however? I wasn't there at the time. I didn't eat the fruit of the forbidden tree. I never met Adam. I don't know Eve. What do I know? I'm living in Texas. I, you know, it's, I'm 2000, whatever it is, 14. I'm eons removed from this. Why is there stuff on my shoulders? Why am I held responsible for what this guy and this gal did? 
Death spread to all men. What? Why is it? Why, why? What's the deal here? Why don't you just stop with them? I don't, I don't get all this. Why am I being held responsible? Well, here's the answer. You see it still in verse 12. Because all sinned. Why did death spread? Because all sinned. What does that mean? Well, that depends on who you ask. It just means a lot of different stuff to a lot of different people. I think they're all sort of right. In one sense, it means we actually sinned as did Adam. What in the world does that mean? It means connection. We're connected to Adam. Just as I inherited by virtue of my connection to a, a family member some of the consequences thereof, so too we inherit the consequences uh, as a result of our connection to Adam. You know what he's called? Our representative head. Our rep he represents humankind. It's not fair. I didn't sin in the same manner in which Adam sinned. That's true. You sinned your own way. Earlier on in Romans chapter 3, you know this verse, Paul said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so in case you're squawking and you're saying, I didn't exactly do what Adam did, yeah, but, but how much stuff have you done that's categorized by sin? And every time you and I sin, we give evidence to the fact that Paul is right here. Ever since Adam, we all sinned. It's just part of our, part of our human nature here. And I realize this passage raises a lot of questions. Uh, some have referred to this as the most complicated passage in all of the Bible. It uh, warrants a lot more attention than we're giving it tonight because I don't want us to miss the main thing. It has to do with whether you're connected to Adam or, or to Jesus. So, so, so get this at the beginning. Uh, don't miss this, even though it's a complicated passage. By virtue of our connection to Adam, we are sinners under a sentence of death. Can you see that? It's not palatable, but can you understand that's what the text is saying? By virtue of our connection to Adam, we are sinners who are subject to the consequence of death. Spiritual, physical, you want to know what else? Eternal. Spiritual, physical, and eternal. Now, Paul, remember, is writing to primarily Jewish listeners. And he always is anticipating what these Jewish people might say. And he sort of responds to them before he gives them a chance to say what he thinks they're going to say. And that sort of happens in verse 13. The Jewish people believed <clears throat> you sin when you violate something in the law of Moses. So the Jewish people had a little bit of a narrow concept of sin. If, if the law of Moses says don't and you do, ooh, that's a sin. If the law of Moses says do and you don't, that's a sin. So Paul is anticipating something. These Jews are going to say, what's all this sin and death you're talking about since Adam? There wasn't even the law of Moses then. I mean, Moses didn't come around for hundreds of years after Adam. So now Paul responds, verse 13, until the law, sin was in the world, until the law of Moses, Mount Sinai, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that people didn't inherit Adam's sin nature. It just means they, they didn't violate a stipulation, you know, kind of like paragraph 3, section 4.3 in the law of Moses. It wasn't that kind of thing that would be put on their account. 
but they still violated the law of God imprinted on their hearts. And Paul now is going to give evidence to prove his point, and here it is in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. Ah, Paul said Adam sinned. He then said the consequence is death, and death spread. Some people are saying, you don't know what you're talking about. He says, oh yeah, I'll prove it to you. Since Adam and long before Moses, people still died. In fact, they were dying by the droves. So they didn't have to wait for Moses in order to sin <laughs> and, and experience the consequence of sin with his... No, not only did they not... Death reigned. Death was the controlling element between Adam and Moses even without the law of Moses and and this came even to those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam once again you cry out I didn't sin like he did why is all this on me it all has to do with our connection doesn't that seem unfair don't you think it's a little unfair I mean Adam blew it so why why is it on me now be careful about the it's not fair argument because if you win the it's not fair argument, then God will say, yeah, you won. Oh, and by the way, it's also not fair for you to be connected to Jesus and be declared righteous by connection with him. You see, it goes both ways. You never want to demand fairness from God. You want to say, grace is good enough for me. I'll take grace. So, so, you know, as Adam is our representative head by birth, Jesus, if you're a believer, is our representative head by faith. Listen here. We're all connected to Adam by first birth. Some of us can choose, this is a decision, to be born a second time and thus have a connection with Jesus by faith. And so we call it being born again. Some people don't like the term. I don't know what they're talking about. It's beautiful. The first birth is what accounts for all our trouble. I mean that, our connection to Adam. The second birth, being born again, is what accounts for all our justification, all our forgiveness, all our right standing with, with God. And, and so the text says here, uh, Adam is a type of him who was to come. What does that mean? It means like an example, a uh, foreshadowing. So Adam foreshadows one to come. There are certain things about Adam that um, are similar about, about Christ. As Adam uh, physically is the representative head of all humankind, Jesus, who came as the God-man, is the representative head in a spiritual sense of all those who say, Jesus, come into my life. Let me be connected by faith to you. So Adam is a type of Do you know in another part of the Bible it actually refers to Jesus as the last Adam. First Adam in Genesis, Adam got us into trouble, and the second or last Adam, that's Jesus who got us free, who got us forgiven. By the way, you did great in the baptistry. You had the best smile, the most wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. There's a gal right there who's connected to the Lord Jesus. This is about you that I'm talking about, and some others too. Your connection to Jesus has just changed your entire life. Don't you think that's great? 
fantastic. This is a, this is a person whose primary uh, connection is no longer with Adam, it's with Jesus. That's true of all who are, who are Christians. So, so what Paul is doing here is comparing Adam and Jesus, but in this text, he's also contrasting Adam and Jesus. So here's what happens. Here's contrast, verse 15. But the free gift, that's the gift of salvation, is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. You know what my favorite words are in verse 15? The two words that say much more. Much more. Look at it here. Adam's sin victimized all the rest of us. We inherited his sin nature. We're penalized by it. We die spiritually and physically and all the rest. What he did accounts for all our trouble. But then this text says it's really bad. It has tremendous impact on you. But I got something for you that's a far greater influence. I'm going to talk to you about the grace of God, which much more has ushered you into an entirely different lifestyle. This is like where sin abounds, grace has superabounded. This is like amazing grace. Amazing sin, oh, far more amazing grace. You see there? Much more the grace of God through one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to the many. The sin of Adam infected the entire human race, but what connection with Jesus has done has impact that is much more, far greater than even the effects of Adam's sin. You know what this means? It's not that Jesus simply neutralized sin. It's not two opposing forces. You know, it's not like they're arm wrestling and they're at a stalemate. It's like Jesus put sin down. He just beat up on it. He won victory over the consequence of sin with his death, which is death. How do I know that? He rose up from it. It's an empty tomb. Up from the grave, he arose. I got to tell you something. Sin is like a huge problem. It overwhelms us and we can't do a thing about it. It reigns in death. And then Jesus came on the sin and be, scene because he is sinless and the perfect one. His dying on our behalf is a much more greater influence which abounds to the many who believe on him so that it's not just sin can continue to rear its ugly head. The power of it has been uh, laid to rest. The penalty of it is removed. And one day the very presence of sin in our lives due to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be entirely laid to rest. We're not talking about uh, sin and Savior being on an equal footing. Savior has overwhelmed sin and its consequences for much more. The free gift, it's not like the transgression. It's a much more kind of a gift. Well, now here's more contrast between Adam and Jesus, verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Again, that's Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression. It resulted in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So here you have the contrast. There's judgment and condemnation arising from one man's transgression, Adam. But then there's a free gift and justification arising from many transgressions. What does that mean? It means all of us have sinned, and all of our sin has given God a grand opportunity to reveal his graciousness in that when we confess it and turn to him, he forgives it. 
Grace arrives from, manifests itself. Grace comes out. Grace abounds. Uh, grace is manifested in response to our sin. Isn't that something? Grace arises through the many transgressions. The many who've transgressed. That's all of us over here. You think, oh, my sin has disqualified me from God's grace. You don't get it. If there's no sin, there's no opportunity for God to manifest his grace. No way. If you sin, admit it, turn to Jesus for forgiveness, he goes into grace mode. He doesn't go into condemnation. There's condemnation for those who are connected to Adam. There is reconciliation and justification for those who are connected to Christ Jesus. So it says, verse 17, if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, look, here we go again, much more those who receive, look at this, the abundance of grace, and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Death reigns through the disobedience of Adam. Much more will righteousness reign in life through the obedience of Jesus Christ. But you realize this is not true for everybody. This is no uh, case for what's called universal salvation. You know where everyone ends up in heaven? That would be really cool, but it's really a lie. See, the verse says here, all this is true for those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, you see. Those are transferred from Adam to Jesus. Now you get verse 18 and 19. It's basically a summation. Paul wants to say it again because it's so rich. He says, so then, as through one transgression, Adam's sin, there resulted condemnation to all men, all of us, even so through one act of righteousness, Jesus dying on the cross for sin, there resulted justification of life to all men, all of us who have received the gift of salvation. For as through the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, that's us, even so, through the obedience of the one, that's Jesus, the many, those are Christians, will be made righteous. So both personages, Adam and Jesus, had their gardens. Adam disobeyed God in his, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father in his. Adam was in the Garden of Eden could make no excuses. He was not deprived in any way, shape, or form. He was in paradise. Adam in his garden, the Garden of Eden, disobeyed. Jesus in his garden, the Garden of Gatshmanim, Gethsemane, Olive Press. Jesus obeyed God. Oh, God, let this cup, it's the cup of crucifixion uh, for you and for me. Let it pass from me. Let there be another way, if there is. But if there isn't, I will obey. I will submit to your will. Your will be done. One man's disobedience in his garden caused all our trouble, and the God-man's obedience in his garden caused all our liberation and pardon and freedom and forgiveness and ticket to heaven. We were made sinners through the disobedience of Adam we are, as the text says, made righteous. That means in right standing 
through the obedience of Christ. Our connection to Adam accounts for all our trouble. Our connection with Christ accounts for every bit of our salvation. So I ask you this question. Who are you connected to? That's the most important question. You've got to come up with the right answer. Who are you connected to? I mentioned earlier the bankruptcy my family experienced. Folks, could I tell you something? I offered it because there's a parallel. We are morally bankrupt. We owe a debt to God we cannot pay. There's nothing in our accounts. It's bone dry. It is empty. Bankrupt through our connection to Adam. Rich. Riches of forgiveness and grace abound through our connection to Christ Jesus. So I ask you, who are you connected to? Everyone bears the guilt of Adam as a result of the first birth. But anyone can receive the pardon and the righteousness of Jesus by virtue of a second birth which comes about by placing faith in the Lord Jesus. Who are you connected to? Lord Jesus, let it not be that even one would leave here tonight without establishing a faith connection to you that would make that one forgiven, though not deserving of it, pardoned, though not deserving of it, an heir of salvation, though not deserving of it, that would make that one a citizen of heaven, though surely not deserving of it, all by virtue of connection to you. Oh God in heaven, in the power of your Holy Spirit, would you affect that connection tonight? And would you help those men, those women, young or old, who tonight want to establish that connection to put shoe leather on it by saying, Lord Jesus, my sin inherited from first man has separated me from you, the perfect God-man. I confess it, make no bones about it, no defense and no excuses. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Through your one act of righteousness and suffering and dying on my behalf, I'm set free. I accept that. Come into my life. Let me be connected to you irreversibly, eternally, now and forevermore. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.